Shout out. 
Hallelujah. 
give me vision to see things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do.
Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is in the garden. He says, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Hebrews chapter 5 talks about the fact that Jesus learned obedience through the things that he suffered. And in your life, I don't know what's happening in your world, and your, your sphere of people or situations, but uh, that, that prayer up there, that it is well with my soul, that doesn't always happen immediately, does it? Sometimes it's these moments where we're worshiping God, we're putting him first. And so, Lord, we do that today. Lord, we put you first right now. Lord, we intentionally say that you're in charge. We intentionally say that, that you are king, you are Lord, you're, you own us, we belong to you. And Lord, in that reality, in that, in that hope that we have, Lord, we say it as well. Whatever's happening, whatever people are facing, whatever is confronting their life, we say it is well because you're in charge. It is well because you're the king over everything. It is well because you have all the power. And we just say that today with confidence, not in ourselves, but in confidence in who you are. And we pray that this morning that, that more people would walk out of this place being able to say, you know what, things look like this or look like that, but God is in control. God is doing the things that he longs to do, and I am going to trust him. And if you're going to trust him today, would we say together, amen, amen, amen. Hey, great to see each, each of you here today. Hope you've had a great time already. But what we're going to do right now is we're going to take some time and bring some encouragement to each other. And so would you take a few minutes and just greet each other today. God bless you. Well, good morning. If you can find your seat. Hey, it's that time again. It's Connect Card time. Your favorite part of the morning when I talk to you about Connect Cards. If you're a guest here today, um, we would really appreciate it if you could complete one of these right in the seat in front of you, then turn it in to our guest services desk out in the lobby on the way out. That would be a huge help to us. We really, really appreciate it. And um, we're going to have our ushers come, if they would. We're going to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. And uh, I tell you, this is such a, a practical way. Don't you love sometimes practical things? Um, you know, someone says they love you and, you know, you appreciate that maybe, but then they, they actually do something that really displays it. And that's what giving is. Giving displays ownership. It expresses worship and love. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's do it together. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to just display, to show, to act in a way that shows your ownership over our lives, uh, the, the, the fact that we entrust ourselves to you and our worship to you. I pray your blessing over this moment and this giving in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.
Hey, if you got your bullet when you came in this morning, please grab a hold of that. Look on with me. Do you know you learn better when you listen and read at the same time? So if you're looking at it, it'll, it'll work better for you. So, hey, a uh, couple things really quick. Uh, Rocky Challenge. We have uh, our new uh, Speed the Light initiative that's coming up, and we're going to be doing August 19th, raising money for Speed the Light with a 1,000 steps. Uh, students that are in the room, just to let you know, in less than 10 minutes, I walked around, I asked four people if they would be willing to sponsor me for the Rocky Challenge, and I raised $200 in 10 minutes, because that is what the people here at Praise are like. They're generous, willing to give. All you need to do as a young man or young woman is to say, would you sponsor me 
for this, uh, for this event where we're raising money for Speed of the Light. And people will give you a penny a step, which is 10 bucks, two pennies a step, 20 bucks, three pennies, 30 bucks, and so forth and so on. So that's happening here. I've got more forms. I gave them to you Friday night. If you've lost them, which might have happened, I've got more here, but make sure you begin to do that. Adults, thank you so much for your support of Speed the Light. Wednesday nights, we have our Bible study going on, uh, Compassion Without Compromise. I'll ask again, as I had last week, how many have been to one of those two weeks? Raise your hand if you've been to one of those two weeks. It's been a really... I don't want to say a great time. You know, it's been, it's been a great time, like a big party. But it has been a, a really helpful, informative, um, even anointed time of hearing God's word and the truth that's in it. So if you haven't been able to be a part of those, you can still come on out on Wednesday nights. Please check those out. Uh, we have uh, a few other events going on. July, uh, tomorrow, um, the uh, youth will be going out for our, uh, one of our Summer Serve Mondays. We're going to be actually going to help at the Sunday breakfast mission, sorting some clothes at their warehouse and different items. We'll be serving there tomorrow uh, throughout the day. Uh, that's happening tomorrow, the 28th. The young adults have a Friday night hangout. Make sure you make note of that. Um, and then on August 5th, which is a Saturday we have the men's picnic and cookout, which will be at the Walters. Again, crabs, burgers, swimming, horseshoes, archery, fun, and fellowship. Men, come on out for that. Again, it's a Saturday, August 5th, right in the middle of the day. You can come for an hour or two if you have to, take off, whatever, but we would love to see you there. And then finally, put it on your calendar. Those that have students that are a part, uh, or girls that are a part of our uh, girls' ministry, don't forget August 30th. Uh, the, at 7 p.m., there will be uh, the Girls' Ministry Honor Ceremony. Make sure you put that in your calendar and make note of that. God bless you, and have a great morning. Thank you, Pastor Hans. And on the uh, men and boys get-together, uh, all you need is a swimsuit, towel, and an appetite. Okay, that's all you have to have. So <clears throat> put that in your calendar for August 5th. Hey, this morning we're going to continue in our series entitled, Jesus Said... And I want us to begin by reading from John's Gospel, the 15th chapter. So that'll be on the screen as well. John 15, beginning at verse 9. Jesus said, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this incredible passage this morning. Lord Jesus, your very words. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would receive them not just in our minds and our intellect, but God, that they would pierce our souls. Lord, that they would find fertile ground and it would bear fruit, even as we read in this passage, that it would bear much fruit. 
I pray for your anointing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you know, let me, let me tell you what drew me to this passage in the first place for today's message and why I feel a passion to expound upon these verses this morning. A few weeks back, I was out running and walking through the state park near where I live, and, and a quotation from C.S. Lewis came into my mind. And it was from his book, The Weight of Glory, and I've used this quotation before in various sermons, and I, that's why it was in my memory bank in the first place. And I want, I want to read it to you now before we go any further. And um, I think it's going to be on the screen as well. You can follow along. Listen and read what Lewis wrote. He says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be or become a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life, compared to ours, is as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. And you know, as I reflect on these two paragraphs, what is sad about what Lewis has just told us is that in reality, we're usually just too busy each and every day, every waking moment, to even stop and think of such an idea as that which Lewis has put into words for us. I mean, listen to the last paragraph again. He says, there are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, nations, cultures, art, civilization, these are mortal. You understand, the United States of America will not exist in eternity. No nation on this in this world will exist in eternity. But every single human being born into this world will. And that's why he makes this comparison. Nations, cultures, they're all going to pass away. Arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And, and as big as they are, as, as powerful as our nation is, he says it is like the life of a gnat when compared to just one of us. It is immortals, it is immortals whom we joke with every day, whom we go to work with, maybe who you had coffee with over in the cafe this morning. It is immortals that we go to work with and marry and sometimes snub and exploit, and they will become, and I'm filling in the blanks here because Lewis speaks in very grandiose language. But the people that we interact with right now, being immortal, someday will either be an immortal horror, he said, or an everlasting splendor. And the context for me thinking about this, as I was traversing the park the other day, the context 
was contained in me as I reminisced about the years 2020 and 2021, just a couple years ago. The years of the COVID pandemic, two years filled with all kinds of angst and hatred and divisiveness. And I don't want to give it much thought this morning. I really don't. I bring it up as a point of reference, but I don't want to think about it because it was so awful. But this was a time when even Christians were being hateful towards other Christians. And even pastors, many pastors that I spoke with were, during that time were being assailed. They were taking the brunt of the ugliness that was circulating through society and within even their own churches. And so when I recalled this quotation, I felt as though we needed to give some consideration to the concept that Lewis is expounding upon here and which Jesus has likewise spoken about in the 15th chapter of John's Gospel. Folks, we need to remember. We need to remember that there truly are no ordinary people. Everyone is precious to God. Every single human being, even those who have not yet accepted Jesus, have incredible value and worth to God. I mean, a very simple statement made by the Apostle Peter gives us a hint of how God feels about his crowning creation. In 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. But instead, he's patient with you. Because he is not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God loves every single human being. He doesn't want any of them to be eternally damned. He wants every one of them to come to repentance and to live in heaven forever. He wants every person, every single person's planet to repent and to believe in his son so that they would not perish. He wants everyone who's ever been born to be born again and to live in heaven with him forever. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's God's heart. That's God's intent. And so what I'm trying to say is that we need to understand. We need to remember that every person that we interact with each and every day, Monday, Thursday, Saturday, as well as Sunday, every single person we interact with is an immortal being. And they have an immortal soul with an eternal destiny. And think about this for a moment. Even those people who may seem annoying to you or they may seem bothersome to you at times, they're still valuable to God. And I believe that we all need to see this. Again, as Lewis put it, it is immortals. It is eternal beings that we joke with every day, that we go to work with, saved or unsaved. And we marry them and Sometimes we snub them and we exploit them, we abuse them, we use them. And they become either immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. So again, here's the connection that I made. As the ugliness of the, of the pandemic has waned, hallelujah, we now need to be more determined than ever to really love others. Amen? As difficult as that might be at times, and that statement always has to be thrown in, we have to love others. As difficult as that might seem at times, because sometimes it is difficult. Because we are dealing with immortals, 
And we're interacting with people who, although fallen, some fall, have been created, they've been created in the image and, the, and likeness of God himself. And this applies specifically within the church. Listen to what Jesus said in John's gospel. Just a couple chapters earlier. John 13, verse 35, Jesus said, By this, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples. And you know what the answer is. By what, right? You know what the answer is. By what? If you love one another, the whole world will know that you're my followers if you love one another. Again, Jesus said that people will know that we're related to him, that we belong to him by the way that we love one another. And I believe that he's speaking about Christians loving Christians. Now, let's take a look again at the passage I began with a few moments ago. Now, we're not, I don't know, it, may, it probably won't be on the screen, doesn't need to be. But if you have a, a paper Bible or you have a, a Bible app on your iPad or smartphone, whatever, um, I want to walk through this. I don't want to read it all. I don't want to take time to read it all, but I want to walk through this. And just kind of follow along with me, if you would, and notice the things that I will share about this passage. For instance, if you'll look at the entire paragraph, just consider what we read. There are two words that are used repeatedly. And the two words are command or commands. That's re over it. And the other is love. And Jesus uses these over and over in these few short verses. We just read a handful of verses. He uses the word command five times. And he uses the word love nine times. And he links the two words together. He said things like, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. See how he links them together. My command is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. And please understand, he's not commanding love. He's not, um, the two words go together in the same sentences. But he's not commanding love. Rather, he's simply describing the motive for true obedience. In other words, if we really love him, we will want to obey him. Does that make sense? If you really love him, you're going to want to obey him. We will want to serve him. We'll want to give ourselves to him. We are going to want to please him. And in verse 10, he cited himself as an example of doing this. In verse 10, he said, If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, using himself as an example, just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I kept my father's commands and I remain in his love. It works that way. So he said, he said, just as I have obeyed my father, using himself as an example. And also notice in this passage how Jesus makes it clear to us that we are not his slaves. We're not his servants. Because he places our relationship on a completely new level. He tells them, you are my friends. From now on, I call you my friends. Verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. It's really interesting. We're no longer servants. We're now friends. And yet obedience is still part of that relationship. I think it has kind of an air of irony, doesn't it? I mean, until you, re you, know, until you realize that there are two ways to obey, there are two motivations that bring about obedience, okay? As a slave, he says, you're no longer my slave. You're no longer my servant. But as a slave, obedience is rooted in fear, isn't it? Fear of consequence. 
A slave obeys out of fear. But a friend, obedience is really connected to love. The reason I'll do something for another person is because I really love them. I'm not obligated. And this is what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to prove our love for him, to display our love for him, and to prove it by loving one another. And to do this because he's already done it. He's already proven his love for us, hasn't he? He gave his life for you and me. Verse 13 said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And that's just exactly what he did. He laid down his life for his friends. Now, he previously said something very similar in John chapter 10. In this instance, he uses the analogy of sheep and shepherd. And I want us to take a look at this. And and notice how he says once again how he lays down his life for his sheep. And we're going to begin John chapter 10, verse 6. It says, Jesus spoke to them using this illustration, but they did not understand what he was telling them. So he said to them again, Truly, truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it in its fullness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd, and the sheep are not his own. When he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, runs away, and then the wolf pounces on them, scatters the flock. The man runs away because he's a hired servant and is unconcerned for the sheep. And again, Jesus says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in as well, and they will listen to my voice. And then there'll be one flock and one shepherd. And so twice in this passage, he says, I laid down my life. I'm proving my love. I'm proving my concern. I'm proving my devotion by giving of my life, laying down my life. You see, Jesus didn't just talk about love. He proved it. Amen. And I love the way the Apostle Paul summed it all up in his letter to the Roman Christians. In fact, Paul said it in just one verse in Romans 5, 8. Paul wrote, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. God proves his love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We're sinners. And he died for us. Please notice That God made the ultimate sacrifice. And he did it for the very ones who did not want him. I mean, God the Father sent his son in this world in order to prove his love for those who had rejected him. I remember remember what life was like before I became a Christian. I had no understanding about life or sin or God. Nothing. Nothing. I was ignorant and destitute, morally, spiritually, truly living in darkness. And only after I received Christ as my Savior did I begin to understand all that he had done for us. 
I mean, please understand that God loves those who reject him as much as those who have accepted him. Now, it's hard for us to wrap up. You know, it's hard for us to accept that. But I really believe that he loved me as much, if not more, before I received him as Savior as he does today. He loved me enough. He proved his love for us. While we were yet sinners. Isn't that enough? He proved his love while we were still sinners. And then he commands the redeemed, you and I, to spread that love. And he did this because every human being in God's eyes, as I said earlier, every human being in God's eyes has value. And again, this is going to be hard for us to wrap our minds around, but even the most vile and reprobate have value in God's eyes. All you have to do is look at the life of Paul before he was the Apostle Paul and he was Saul of Tarsus. He would actually seek out Christians, arrest them, bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and martyrdom. And God loved him enough to reach out to him. And then you'll see the next step after that too. And you know, and even I think about the invisible as well, not just the vile or the reprobate, but even the invisible. I mean, you see, this even applies to the little baby who's still in their mother's womb. And that's why we as Christ followers, we're abhorred that a mother could kill their own baby through abortion. It's like God loves them even as they're being formed. You see, we are more than just clay. We are, as Lewis reminded us, we are immortal beings. Every human being lives forever. Every human being. The difference is real estate term, location, location, location. Some are going to live in heaven forever. And some are going to be in hell forever. But every human being is an immortal being. They are eternal. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that as jars of clay, you and I, we have an all-surpassing power within us that's from God. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 7. So let me remind you that we had value to God before we got saved. And after we get saved, guess what? He doesn't just add value. He adds purpose. And that's exactly what happened in Saul of Tarsus's life. God loved him. When he got saved, He saved him for a purpose and he called him to reach the Gentiles. And so here's the application for today's message because you know what? I'm I'm about to close and we have to be able to apply this message like all messages to our lives in some practical way. First, I want you to know that you are deeply, deeply loved by God. I want you to really, you may not feel it all the time. You may rarely even think about it. Really, I don't, I don't think, every now and then, and I will tell you, this is one of the reasons I like walking through the park or running through the park is when I'm out there, I just, I feel his presence. I feel his love. And I really do. I really do. But then you get into the busyness and the mundaneness of every day and all the things we have to do. And we forget that he's even present or watching over us. So I know there are times, and you don't, you don't even give it a thought But I want you to know that you are deeply loved by God. And it's true and it's never ending. It's never ending. Romans 8, 38 and 39 tells us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
Now, of course, Satan, he'll do whatever he can to make you blind to that truth. I mean, busyness can do it, but he'll help. But again, I want you to know that God loves you intensely. You are not a spiritual orphan. You are part of his eternal family. And secondly, once you know that you are loved, you know what? You can then more adequately love others. If you feel loved, if you feel as though God has lavished his love on you, you then should have the resources and the overflow to love someone nearby. I mean, it's just as Jesus said in the second great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Once you know your love, then you can feel the freedom to love others, to invest in others, to give yourself to others. But if you've got a deficiency and you feel horrible about yourself, you're not going to reach out and try to bless someone. You're not going to try to love them. And again, as C.S. Lewis mentioned, all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. We're either helping some other immortal being either to head towards hell or to head towards heaven. And as he said, it is immortals that we joke with every day. We work with them. We marry them. We snub them. We exploit them. And, and then he, again, he ends this thought with the suggestion that we, we help others to become either immortal horrors. Isn't that a terrible thing? That we could actually help someone go in the wrong direction and become an immortal horror. Or they would become an everlasting splendor. And finally, to quote our Savior from the passage we began with, if we love Jesus, we'll keep his commandments. And he commands us to love one another. Not just to feel love for one another. Not just to feel love, but to display love for one another. See, Jesus didn't just feel love for lost humanity. He displayed it, didn't he? He proved it. And so we should follow his selfless example and be ready to serve others. Let's pray together. And I wonder if Micaiah, if you'd come back and just play the keyboards for us. <clears throat> I want us to do something about this. Or maybe just spend a few moments pondering what I've shared with you this morning. I want to open this altar area. We've received so much from him. I mean, we were not worthy of his grace. We were not worthy of his love. And yet the word tells us that he freely gave his grace, his love to us. That while we were yet sinners, he loved us. We wouldn't have loved ourselves. And yet he loved us enough to give his own life. And I want you to stand where you are right now. And I'm going to begin to pray. And as I pray, I want you to find a place of prayer. It can be right where you're seated. You might want to just kneel and turn around your seat or you might want to come to this altar area. But you know, we all have people in our lives too and they're a little difficult for us to love. They're really a challenge. They might be, they might be a fellow Christian. Might be someone at work that doesn't know the Lord and, and boy, you just really don't want to invest time in them. But again, they're immortal beings. And I'm not talking about you sitting them down and explaining the plan of salvation. I'm just talking about you living it out. Living it out, just as Jesus gave an example in his own life, that we would live it out in our own lives in front of others. Not trying to pretend that we're holy, but just being kind, being loving, being helpful, 
Again, even to those that, that may annoy us. Those whom we just think they're, they're just, they're not worth my efforts. You know what? God says they are. That they're valuable. The unsaved, and then again the saved. They're valuable. And if there's one real lack in this world, it's an understanding of what love is. The world around us, they, they want to convince us that love is lust. And really, love is selfless. Love is giving without expecting anything in return. The best definition of love is that word agape in the Greek New Testament. Unconditional love. It's hard. It's hard. But that's real love. That's the kind of love that brought Jesus to the cross. To give up his life, to lay down his life. For every man and woman who's ever been born. Every child that's ever been born. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your love. That you proved your love. You gave your life. The word says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And that joy was knowing that by his death, millions and millions and millions would someday reside in heaven forever. Lord, how I pray that that would be our heart today, Lord, that, that maybe there is, there's a very annoying coworker, and they need Jesus. Lord, help us to pray for them, for pray for their salvation, to look for opportunities to display that love, to show that concern. Lord, that you begin to soften their hearts, that you change things in the workplace. In another month or so, our kids will be going back to school and they're going to be facing the same thing. Lord, I pray that they'd be ready. Lord, we thank you for your love, Lord. You've commanded us to love one another. We can prove to the entire world that we're your disciples just by loving one another, loving our fellow Christian. Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done, that you have proven your love for us. Lord, I pray for, I pray for that person who maybe periodically doubts how much you really love them. And they're here this morning. They really doubt. They don't think about it. They, they wonder maybe if they have any value to anyone. And Lord God, I just thank you that you love us completely. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for not just telling us that you love us, but you have proven it. You've proven it. We give you praise, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord, help us, God. Help us to love others. Help us to love one another and then to help us to love others. Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, I pray, God, that, that this would be one of those messages that wouldn't fade too quickly in our hearts and in our minds. But God, I pray that, that it really would be a word that would be like a seed planted in fertile ground. Lord, that we begin to put this, put this spoken word into application, that we put into practice. 
Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would keep bringing it to our remembrance. And Father, now I pray your blessing upon your flock, Lord, as we leave this place. God, I I pray that you give us opportunity this week ahead to display real love. Lord, bless your people. Bless your flock, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless each one of you.